she yeah. was like, she comes and she's just like, you know, I was 13 and I'm like, like I'm a grown woman talking to me, like, I don't know, what do you want? And she's kind of like, how long have you been here? And I was like, oh, it's my third year, I think, second, third year at this school. And I was like, oh, how do they treat people like us? I just, like, how minorities are being mm. treated. Wow. Hey, and welcome to I'm Adopted, Now What? A podcast where we talk about all things race, culture, and identity, one chat at a time. This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out, now what? I'm your host, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the I'm Adopted Now What podcast. If you're new to the show and listening for the first time, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. And if you are a returning listener, thank you so much for coming on back. I hope we have a great season. I think it'll be really informative, interesting, more diverse than season one. So I'm looking forward to it. To kick off season two, uh, for those of you, if you are new to the show, we ended season one interviewing Juan and his wife Courtney from Australia. So I only thought it appropriate to start season two with the interview I did with Juan's brother, Ben. Now, Ben also lives in Australia. He's 32 years old and was adopted from Brazil at 13 months. When I asked him to write three words that would describe how he feels about adoption today, he wrote intrigued, accepting, and humbled. And when I asked him why he chose those three words, he said it was because it took him a while to fully accept his adoption as part of his journey or his life story. Then once the acceptance came, it fostered more intrigue, which fueled more research and reaching out to adoption groups. The whole thing has been a humbling experience for him. In the interview with Ben, which you will hear in a moment, we talk about a lot of different stuff, some of which is Australian culture, uh, the Australian culture and history with black people as well as Asian people, very interesting stuff there. We talk about communication and how having open channels of communication between adoptees and their adoptive parents can really be the difference, the determining factor in how that adoptee develops their identity as they go through life. I am always a big supporter of over-communication instead of under-communication, and so it was really nice to kind of flush that out with him and talk about how different levels of communication between families can really impact you as an adult. We also talk about his experience with fatherhood and how becoming a father himself impacted him and how he thinks about his own birth parents today. 
we also touched on this idea of normalization versus celebration, which was a novel idea for me. I had never heard of it before, and Ben brought it up. And that is something that was actually one of my favorite parts of our interview. And it's something that I hope to continue and carry on with in my future episodes. Um, because I thought that there were some great questions there and I want to keep that conversation going within the adoptee community. All right, without further ado, here is season two, episode one with Ben. I can see you, but I can't hear you. How's that? Oh, good. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This week, I am talking with Ben, all the way from the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. Uh, he is a residential care youth worker. And in COVID, he has been spending his time learning Portuguese. Hi, Ben. Thanks so much for being on the show. Welcome. Yeah, awesome. Th- thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, um, I guess, listening to the podcast and, and having that interest from, from my brother being on it already was, was something I was actually really looking forward to. So. It's awesome. It's awesome to have you. For those of you who don't know or are jumping in right now, um, season one ended with uh, Juan and his wife, Courtney, being interviewed in a three-part series, and Ben is Juan's brother. And, um, you know, we will get into all of that family stuff in a minute. Ben, I like to start by asking all of my guests why you're here why you're on the show what inspired you to to come on and and why is talking about adoption so important to you um i think it's what you were just asking before so i guess the covid and the impact that that has and i find that um i guess a lot of people have probably had more time to delve into maybe their past or different aspects about their life that you know work and travel and other things would have otherwise taken away from and um I've just noticed that it's been in the last year or two, all of a sudden I've sort of been really connecting a lot more with, you know, my adoption story and my past and that little section of my life. And um, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's kind of started opening up conversation and more exploring. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're stumbling upon your podcast and so it's just so perfect the way that you just open up this dialogue about something that, whilst as a part of my life just hasn't really been spoken about and I'm like this is this is awesome Mm -hmm. all of a sudden I'm like all right let's let's talk about it let's get it on there so yeah that's great um now I'm sure the audience is wondering I'm wondering you and Juan are not biological siblings right or are you no no we're not yeah no got it so can you talk a little bit about that about your you know your family upbringing what it looked like when you were a kid and and your adoption origin story yeah sure so um our I guess ad- adopted parents um john and Marin just couldn't conceive the, the the normal normal you know like that that sort of way so you know they, they tried you know conceiving they tried ivf mm-hmm. for them obviously the, the, the big picture for them was to have a family Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, you know, eventually they went down the, the adoption path and they went through the process and, um, just, it just so happened to be that, you know, Brazil was open at the time and, uh, you know, I was the one 
you know, on the, on the list, I guess, and got picked. And so, uh, 1989, they have a, you know, they get to have a son. And I guess speaking to them, they, they had always, or at some point had decided, you know, they wanted more than one. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess started the process all over again. And then the next thing you know, you know, they're traveling to Colombia to, to adopt another, another boy. And I, it's interesting. I remember speaking to mom that, when going through the process the first time, um, as far as ethnical preferences and things like that, like they just wanted a baby. So mm. they, they, I think they checked nearly every box. Like they mm-hmm. didn't care what country it was coming from, they wanted mm-hmm. a baby. Whereas, whereas I know mum said the second time, um, they actually picked Afro baby. So at mm. least the two of us would be similar. So we'd have that connection. So, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, growing up, it's, um, it's funny again listening to you know a lot of guests on on your podcast as well yeah. as one um growing up it was kind of where we where we are it's, it's a smaller kind of surfy town like it's grown a lot in in its time so it was kind of we, we're always going to be the different the token ones within mm. within town and and i guess most places as a lot of adoptees i guess are mm-hmm. um and so for me growing up it was we were always um already kind of different mm. so i find in my adoption i guess upbringing um was almost normal because at a very young age i was able to come to, to terms with and accept no, this is this is how our life is, and this mm-hmm. is this is uh, this is what growing up and being adopted means. And um, I guess as as Juan so um, mentioned in in his episode too, our dad was also adopted. Yeah. So you know, it, it's it's kind of funny when you're sitting in a family where three out of the four members are actually adopted. Definitely. Um, yeah. But. Uh, yeah, and. Definitely good. I don't know if you and Juan kind of had the same group of friends growing up, but did you know a lot of other adopted kids when, you know, when you were younger or it was just kind of you and Juan and that was it? Um, pretty much grow, growing up, we had one family, um, family friends of our, of our parents who had actually also adopted the two girls, both from Sri Lanka. Hmm. Uh, so they, they, I guess, um, you know, John and Marion did what they could to make sure that we mingled with them. So mm-hmm. it was sort of, again, you had other kids in a similar sort of circumstance, a similar story mm-hmm. to, to bounce off. Other than that, um, that was pretty much it. But, mm. you know, school, growing up, no, there wasn't really uh, anyone else to mingle with or, or connect with that were also adopted, let alone interracially adopted right. and stuff like that. I remember growing up, uh, there was a some organisation when I was quite younger that did do like big get togethers. So like mm. they'd hold these massive sort of get together picnics for families with adopted kids. And mm-hmm. it's around the Christmas time. I remember, you know, people from all over, you know, coming in and I guess having this sort of day of, you know, gelling and mingling and sharing stories. But at some point obviously that organization folded because it was when I was quite young that that happened and it didn't really happen after that. Yeah. But um, again, I, I think, even even listening to you and you've been speaking the I guess the the contrast between being an only child and having someone else even in the household that you can bounce off and 
mm-hmm. relate to, I'm sure, would have been, you know, such a different experience from mine to yours. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, can you tell me a little bit about that? Because it is so different from mine. I'm always fascinated to hear about how adoptees feel with siblings, not to mention uh, siblings that are also adopted. Did you, were you guys close growing up or did you talk about adoption yeah. a lot together? Yeah, it was, it was interesting again when I was thinking about uh, coming on here and then, you know, you start to sort of look back at a lot of things. Yeah. And um, we, we were really close uh, growing up and I don't know if it was like that unspoken maybe bond of knowing that we're both sort of from the same circumstance or just mm-hmm. the fact that we both were the dark skin. Again, you know, you've got 50% of our family being white, 50% being black. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that alone, I guess, kind of just bonds you in, in, in a way. We were very close. Um, but it, it, it's, it's funny, again, having three people in our family adopted, yeah. yet it wasn't really spoken about in the mm. family. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, um, again, a trend, I know as you've been talking about a lot of this, like normalising adoption and normalising. Yeah. I don't know if that was just John and Maren's sort of way of trying to normalise things by not making it a big deal. Right. So therefore it just wasn't spoken about or um, or whatnot. But it, 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 it wasn't ever that sort of dedicated, let's have a, let's have a talk about adoption. Let's mm-hmm. have a, uh, you know, how are you guys going with this sort of stuff? It was yeah. kind of. You know, mom and dad got, got us different books. Like, you know, everyone's different and different ways of trying to sort of reassure us and make sure we're okay with, mm-hmm. yeah, you do stand out. But there was there was not really much in talk, not even between Juan and myself. Mm-hmm. And again, which is what was interesting um, when you were going through his episode and something he mentioned. And after listening, I kind of I rang him up and I'm like, oh, I didn't know this. <laughs> You know, we've been living together all this time, and like, and it's funny that that even that opened up the dialogue, and it kind of made me realize, man, like, we've been living together, and there's obviously a lot of conversations that, mm. for whatever reason, we just didn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, right or wrong, you know, but yeah, it's 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 very it's funny, and yeah, and definitely interesting um, <laughs> growing up with three people in the house adopted. Totally, it's not really. Well, that's that I'm super it. happy that. Uh, uh, that talking about the podcast was able to, you know, open up a new channel of, of ways mm-hmm. to communicate with someone who you're already so close to. That's awesome. Um, yeah. How do you like remember your own feelings of being adopted as a kid, like separate from your dad and your brother? I, th- I think I, I internalized a lot. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of looked at, okay, was that my, just a trait of mine? Or was it partially just because of the whether it's the self-esteem and whatnot coming from the adoption sort of side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, um, it was it was very much a case of like, it was a very young age. I can't remember how young, but I just developed this uh, psyche and mentality of you need to be seen, not heard, and fly mm-hmm. straight because if your own flesh and blood mother can give you up. Mm-hmm. then are you really safe with these people that have picked you up mm-hmm. so it was kind of like okay well I was you know I was you know mom and dad always was like are you just you're just the quiet kid and like I actually delve into it there's a reason so I was like mm. mm, you know don't don't rock the boat now don't rock the boat like it was huh. so like even like the smallest things I you know 
we'd go to someone's house and they'd offer me, you know, like the, the plate of cookies that they'd, you know, bake for the, the fact that we're going to their house. And yeah. I was still kind of like politely decline, like, no, no, like, you know, don't want to do anything that puts anyone out. Mm-hmm. Don't whinge, don't, don't get into trouble. Like I was kind of like between myself and wine. Wine was definitely the troublemaker uh-huh. of the two of us because mm. it, I just developed such a psyche of, you could you could be sent back if they don't want you. So don't give them a reason not to want you. Yeah. Um, and that did kind of start to dictate developmentally, I guess, how I kind of came up, especially in my younger years. Um, yeah. And then it was also that kind of, I don't know if it's a common thing for, for kids being adopted of you need to be grateful. Mm, you've come definitely. from this, this place so you even, even just, you know, getting into trouble and whatnot, yeah. you're creating trouble for your parents at school when they're putting you in school and you may not have had that opportunity. So don't don't be sort of ungrateful or don't don't ruin sort of things. So that was definitely to, to the point where forever grateful was tattered across my back. Mm. Like it kind of it really did dictate, I guess, a lot of how I worked and like being a hard worker and I guess being yeah. a people pleaser became yeah. um, a lot of my identity for sure. Mm. Um, but like growing up, like I, I knew I'd cut, like I, I knew I'd sort of struck gold mm-hmm. as well. Like I know, like when, uh, like the more I sort of did get to to learn things about my adoption, like I came from an orphanage of five thousand kids at the time of my adoption. So I thought, wow. well, you know, I mean, if you, that's you huge. Roll the dice, and yeah, that's a massive. That's a lot of kids. Wow. So I'm kind of like, well, you know, five thousand. You know. Did something, mm-hmm. did something right, you know, somewhere along the line, I'm the one to get cherry picked out of that. So mm-hmm. to me, it was like, well, you know, do the right thing, make the most of it, all that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. um, speaking of your orphanage, how much more information do you have from that time? Uh, you know, like how old were you? Do you do you have information on your your you know your birth parents that got you know, passed to your your mom and dad when they adopted you? Like, you know, what what do you know? Um, so I, I, was, even that's funny. Like, it was only in the last five years or so that mm-hmm. I've actually grabbed the adoption paperwork. It was always mum um, always held on to that stuff. And I don't yeah. know if that was just her connection to it or, or yeah. whatnot, but she kind of, not that she didn't want me to have it, but she'd always kind of be like, oh, I'll hold on to it for now. Mm-hmm. Um Eventually, I got to this point. Where I'm like, "Hey, I'm a grown man. Give me my stuff." <laughs> this, is like this, this is my this is my first year of life. I kind of need this now. Yeah. Um, and it had a lot, of, a lot of adoption paperwork. Half of it, obviously, being in Portuguese, being from Brazil, so I kind of had to translate. Yeah. Um, but it had. I was. Birth mother gave birth to me in in the hospital, mm-hmm. and then once she was medically, I guess, cleared to, she that's when she kind of left um and father unknown um mm. and it's only a name on on there so all i've got is um her name amelia maria da silva mm-hmm. so and then i was my name was actually marcos marcos mm. flavio da silva and um other than that that's that's like the only information i have on mm-hmm. biological parents and then the rest is um the adoption side of um the process mm-hmm. so I went to went to went to an orphanage it was a 
government run orphanage by FEBEM. It's like F-E-B-E-M, F-E-B-E-M, um, which the orphanage I was at and I think one or two others have since closed down. I mean, mm-hmm. large numbers and being government stuff. It was mm-hmm. just um, neglect and things like that were rife. And I guess they um, investigating closed down. I think that same organisation now runs the prisons. Mm, <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, go figure. But um, yeah, that's. I think mean, I so I was I was in the orphanage and adopted at thirteen months. Okay. So and from from what they were, from what um I guess John Marion was saying when they did get to the point where they could adopt me, obviously being one of five thousand. I don't know how, how like you know the numbers of babies to young kids to teens right. that was, but um. You know, 13 months and I still couldn't sit up. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and I remember like I still sort of my toes even now, like they were saying that they, they really had to work, like my toes were kind of like curled, uh, just for the fact that, like they hadn't been like body parts that hadn't been used that by the time yeah. they should be doing stuff. And 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 they said it was kind of a bit a bit sick and probably a little bit malnourished. Yeah, um, definitely. And like I guess <laughs> Even the fact, obviously, like that was some of the stuff that they shared with me even earlier. That even that was kind of like, oh, oh no, I really do deserve this. I mean, like, I really mm. need to make sure I deserve it so I mm-hmm. can earn this. So mm. even that's kind of interesting. But yeah, I guess um, there's not a lot to go on as far as if I was to really start the search. Yeah, uh, I have a mother's name and that's it, and the Silver Smith. So yeah, there's a lot Neil, of the Silvers. <laughs> yeah, so, that. That's that's like totally something that ha- like it's a total ubiquitous thing. I feel like in all orphanages, like um, because there's especially with an orphanage that large with five thousand, you know, like human beings, um, you your body like because you're laying there, you're a baby, you're laying there in the crib or wherever you are, and there's not enough staff to like give attention to each baby to like exercise the muscles, help them sit up. I know that I have always been super self-conscious of the fact that like, I have a very flat head in the back of my, like in the back, because um, it, it was just like down on like a mattress. And when my head was growing, there wasn't enough room for like the back of my head to round out because it was just Mm. up against like this flat surface for so long. Um, And so I'm always super self-conscious to like, I don't know, quote unquote, make sure my head doesn't look too flat or, you know, whatever in the back. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it's crazy how, how that can have like lifelong effects, you know? Yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah. Um, How do you, knowing knowing like what your name used to be or not used to be, but knowing what your, the name was when you were, um, before you were put up for adoption, uh, does that kind of make you think maybe I'll change my name? Maybe I'll do something like my brother did where, you know, it's, you know, he hasn't, he's not changing it on official documents right now, but he's just making it known that this is also a part of his identity as well. And it's a totally different name. Like, where are you with that? Especially having had your brother do it, you know, how do you feel? 
yeah, so I was, I was talking to him a while ago about, about it and I had thought of doing it and I guess the same sort of um, same line as him, it, mm. it was really just laziness, but like the, the official side of the documentation, I'm like, oh man, like I want to, I want to change everything over and, <laughs> and, and whatnot, especially like I've got, I've got two kids of my own. So yeah. like, I start changing things over, like how does that affect them? They yeah, were to go totally. travel with their mum. Like we're separated so if they were to go overseas with their mum and yeah. something happened while they're over there even just if there's um discrepancies in documentation right and i'm trying to help them or get them back to the country and it's kind of having to improve that sort of thing yeah um but we just find like my son i actually named him we so i named him marcos mm. which was kind of like that i guess sort of a bit of a respect to my yeah birth mother in a way of like definitely oh, you know, she's she gave me life and has given me this life and kind yeah. of just connecting that the next generation like she would still when a way be a grandma but this is a way of connecting her to to that process and to where my life is now uh-huh. as well as I thought it would kind of be cool that another generation even if it happened briefly because I don't know how it was for her even if briefly it's the second generation to be able to look into baby Marcos's eyes when he's born. I yeah. That was kind of just a cool way of, I guess, uh, completing that sort of circle. That's very um, cool. Yeah. How but, do yeah, you. Definitely... Oh yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just, yeah, I, I definitely have thought about doing the name change as well. Mm-hmm. And I think partially it's, it's a funny thing that I was going to actually ask you how you felt about it in terms of, Mm-hmm. where do you where do you sort of I guess stand in a way but um you know what's your views I guess on name changing if you have a child who was actually already given a name from mm. their biological culture uh-huh. oh that's an interesting you know, question. as an adoptive parent like do you have a right to change that person's name and, and in a way you're stripping away that yeah. initial identity hmm. which is like for me, like I know, like the way John and Marin and our, our mom and dad sort of explained it was they couldn't have kids, they wanted to have kids. If they had a boy, they wanted to name their boy Benjamin. Right. It was kind of like they felt like whilst they didn't give birth, this is still like their baby journey. So they wanted to do all that sort of stuff, you know, being yeah. able to name their child. So I understand where they're coming from. But the more I do look into it, the more I delve into it, I'm like, well. It, it, you know, I guess in the same way you look mm. at, um, there's, a, there's a pretty, an interview that's pretty known, Malcolm X back in the day when mm-hmm. he was asked about, you know, obviously taking up X and, and taking away, you know, his, his former name sort yeah. of thing. So they're saying, well, like, like he says, you know, like if someone of Chinese background is named Smith or whatever. Yeah. That's, you know, that's an Anglo or an Irish or British right. sort of name. It doesn't quite look right like why would, why would it, like a person on Chinese or whatever descent be named Murphy or Smith yeah and why would you know where like an Afro person named Murphy or Smith and now I'm kind of like hey, well, my name is like Benjamin James Kelleher like Kelleher is Irish as hell yeah <laughs> and an Afro-Brazilian with an Irish and I'm like that doesn't even fit like yeah is yeah so it is interesting I've never been asked that question I've actually really never thought about that question so I'm glad you asked um well, so my name, I, I, I know less than you do about my own birth circumstances, but okay. I do know that my name was Furong. Um, and without thinking too hard about it, 
I definitely know that I am glad I did not grow up with that name. Um, I think it would have, I mean, I don't know if that's sort of cultural appropriation talking, but I think, I mean, at the very least, my social life in America and school as a kid would have been a lot harder um, had that been my name. And, you know, not to say that kids with Asian sounding names have a harder time, but I think in my situation, having white parents um, and, you know, a white family and growing up, you know, comfortably in the middle class, I think, I think it would have been weird for me. Um, I don't want to change my name, but I think that's because I like the name I have. And I think that it is my name itself in combination with the way I look is, it does feel like an accurate representation of my identity. You know, I have like white parts, Asian parts, and it all kind of comes together to create me. Um, But it's interesting thinking about whether from a parental perspective, you know, they quote unquote should or have the right to change the child they're adopting's name if the baby already has one. Uh, I really don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I, I agree with you, I think. Like, you know, it's also an experience for them. And, it, you know, I totally understand be like as a new parent, you'd want to use the name you wanted, hmm. but hmm. So then, is I it is it the case of um, having a child be? And again, it's one of the things I've kind of learned from even just discovering your podcast and things, yeah. and how important just dialogue is. Yeah. Um, so to me, is it okay? Like, is it just a case of? having open dialogue with your child as part of obviously the whole adoption talk yeah of, this is actually what your name was when we you know when you entered into our lives you mm-hmm. know, as the parents and so then it's kind of like what would you want to do right well I because like? I definitely a hundred percent I can see I can see where um where you're coming from too of like depending on uh, the, your situation as, as, as being an, especially an interracial sort of adoptee, the kids obviously fitting in and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. and not being bullied is, is massive. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, kids might in their early stages not want to yeah. take on the name from their, their biological country yeah. if it's going to, you know, put them out there and shine more of a spotlight on them and you know, increase yeah. the chances of being bullied and stuff like that. Whereas yeah. maybe kind of like Juan and myself, you might come to it like that age where you're kind of starting to understand yourself a bit more, be more secure in yourself. And then you might say, yes, I do want to change or no, actually I really identify with the name I've got and I love it. So I think it's yeah. important decision. The earlier, the earliest a child can understand that this is, where I came from, this is who I was, mm-hmm. then it's up to them, I guess. And definitely some kids might want it and some kids might not. I think you're spot on. It's all about communication from between the parent and the child. Um, and I think that's, that's right. You know, 
it, it makes sense to for a parent to say, you know, this is the name that you had before, and this is the name that we gave you, and you, it is totally up to you to decide what you want your name to be. Um, I also, my parents put Furong as one of my middle names, which might also be an answer to your question. Um, I always hated it, but I think that's tied in to my earlier, when I was younger, sort of almost, well, my fervent avoidance of being connected to anything Asian, I think is why I don't like it. Um, So much so to the point where I've thought about removing it uh, from my name because that's how much I don't feel connected or comfortable with it. Um, But it is one of my middle names like on my certificate. So maybe that's an option as well. And can I I ask you, um, Yeah, this is something that I, I, found when I was growing up is it did you ever feel like a case of almost being like fraudulent oh yeah definitely I call it the authenticity dilemma yeah definitely or what you you talk about it more what do you exactly mean when you when you say it so so for me I guess um growing up on the Gold Coast um especially in the last 10-15 years Mm -hmm. being a uh, I guess a surfing so destination Mm -hmm. it's drawn a lot of um resilience to to this area so I'm ah. actually pretty lucky in that it's not too hard to get into contact with people from Brazil here that's cool um, okay when I was younger probably a few less you know it's sort of been in the last probably 15 years and as travel so opened up before COVID mm. more and more have sort of come to to this area um but I remember growing up it was a case of uh not wanting to, I guess, bring too much light on the fact that that's where I was from Mm. because I felt like a fraud in that once people, especially if they're from Brazil, Mm -hmm. once, you know, mom and dad be like, oh, you know, our son was adopted from Brazil and stuff like that. And straight away, the the Brasileiros, they're like, oh, they start speaking to me in Portuguese. And I've got to explain, I don't actually speak Mm. Portuguese. And they look, they give you that kind of look like, you're from Brazil and you don't even speak our language. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of be like, no, I don't speak the language. And mm-hmm. no, I don't do this. And I don't do that. It's kind of like, and then they kind of like, are you like, are you Brazilian or not? Like, uh, and then you kind of like, uh, like, I almost felt like I'm letting them down. Mm-hmm. Or you're, like, you're letting your country of birth down by mm-hmm. not knowing these things that you should know. And so it's mm-hmm. kind of like to the point where, like, I remember when I was probably t- pre-teens or very early teens and being somewhat insecure about it so telling mom and dad like stop telling people I'm from Brazil mm. <laughs> they start speaking to me in Portuguese and I've got to tell them I don't speak it it's really mm. annoying stop doing it and so yeah it's kind of just interesting to listen to other people and whether yeah. that's like a common thing if you don't have as much connection to your biological culture yeah how you feel about it yeah definitely I it's interesting for me because I have never felt Chinese. So when someone, you know, like one time I used to work in a restaurant and I was serving, some lady came in and she was Chinese because she immediately started talking to me 
in Mandarin, which I don't speak at all. And I, you know, I was like, well, I'm sorry, I, I don't speak Mandarin. Um, and she got mad at me and she was like, why, why not? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, well, how dare you look Asian or look Chinese, but not speak Chinese. Um, and I, I don't know, I gotta say, I feel like I'm pretty unfazed by that kind of interaction because I like what my desire is in that kind of situation in an ideal world, I would say, but that's because you don't understand how white I am. Like, let me just lay it out for you. And let me explain to you why I don't speak, you know, the language that matches the way I look. Um, and that's really all I got, you know, like, I don't, I don't think I struggle with feeling fraudulent or feeling inauthentically Asian because I'm, I'm the first one to say that I'm not. And for like different times in my life when I was in high school, when I was in college and, you know, in those different groups of friends, there were definitely um, like Chinese people in my friend groups with Chinese parents, you know, that were like first generation immigrants and stuff. And um, they just, it wasn't, it didn't really seem like a big thing. I mean, maybe they were just like hiding it behind my back and lying to me, but um, I have heard a lot of Chinese people say that they feel this experience, that, like being a fraud, they feel, you know, inauthentic when they are in some sort of relationship, friendship, whatever, with like Chinese immigrants. Right, yeah. But I can't say I've necessarily felt that firsthand. I don't know if that's something I like to say is, which by now the audience will know very well because I've said it probably every interview, but my mom is a therapist. So it was very normal, very common to just talk all of this out uh, right. when I was growing up. And I don't know if that helped. I mean, it probably did um, in terms of normalizing and not feeling, not having a negative feeling in relation to, you know, not being authentically Chinese or, you know, something like that. I think you nailed it in terms of, again, having space to talk about things. Yeah. Even it can just whether it's just releasing or, or, you know, someone to sort of bounce off and bring another perspective uh, yeah. for sure. And it, I'm not sure if the fact that we had very little dialogue in the way of uh, adoption and everything was a way of John and Marion trying to normalise or trying mm -hmm. not to make it too much of a big thing so we didn't feel like everything was too different. I, I, I don't know because I remember confronting mum Oh, it's a few years ago now and so saying like hey like why didn't you immerse us in you know colombian culture and yeah. brazilian culture like why didn't you get us 
lesson, you know, Spanish and Portuguese lessons. Yeah. I remember mom just being like, uh, oh, I don't know. I just didn't really think about it. Mm. I'm like, how do you not think about it? Like, yeah. But it's, it, it is kind of like, I guess, being the quiet one and internalizing in some ways, whether it's like the no news is good news type thing, like right. on the out, outside, like, oh, well, boys seem to be coping well with everything. So, yeah, no need. I, I don't know. I yeah. guess I'm, I'm finding all that stuff out now, being a parent myself. Yeah, definitely. How, well, how to go about it. being adopted at 13 months is, I mean, you know, you're over a year and your brain does a lot of, of mm. processing and developing in that time. Um, and so maybe somewhere in that time, developmentally in the brain, um, you know, you, you're, it's like enough time for your brain to develop like, oh, I shouldn't ask these questions for fear of getting sent back. You're more aware of like your surroundings and what's happening. Many many adoptees that I talk to will say that, you know, the, the feeling grateful, feeling lucky, you know, all adoptees have to feel lucky because they got, you know, yeah. saved air quotes or, you know, whatever rescued um, from what would have been like, a shitty life, I guess. Otherwise, you have mentioned that you're a father of two, and yes. I am not a parent yet. And so, I always like to talk to parent adopted adoptee parents. They're biologically yours, right? Mm, yeah. So you know, they probably look like you a little bit. Did you, when you became a father, did you kind of have not flashbacks, but? maybe like hypothetical like what if things run through your mind looking at a baby that looked like you it's um I th- I, it, it brought me maybe a greater appreciation mm. for the whole process uh-huh. both the biological and the adoptive sense mm. um you know, having my son I was kind of I guess you know as, as your first kid so you kind of like just understanding what the hell this all means, how yeah. do I do this sort of thing. Whereas by the second, like my daughter, it was actually a home birth. Mm. So I was in the pool and kind of delivered. I, don't, I mean, the mum really delivers. I was there to just yeah. do a tiny slither of, of work. Yeah. Um, but just being so connected to the whole process and mm-hmm. being able to look at her, she comes out of the pool and, and pull her out into my arms. Like yeah. That's an insanely connecting and magical moment that I'm like damn like for every person that's adopted um for whatever reason that biological mum and mum and dad if they were both there whatever reason like they felt the need to give this up Mm -hmm. so I'm like to me I'm like it's it was never the wrong reason and when some People obviously have a lot of a lot more abandonment issues in terms of mm-hmm. how could they do this. Like, and, and mm-hmm. I've, I've gone through, like, this is your own flesh and blood. How do you give your own flesh and blood away? But at the same time, like, even if it's for the most selfish of reasons, mm-hmm. then it's the right reason. Mm-hmm. And I, it, in some way, it would never be an easy process because at some point, and this is coming from a father, let alone a mother who's carried and all right. the connections and neurological stuff. But that's a massive thing to do to give up your own flesh and blood, especially mm-hmm. being able to see that now. I'm like, wait, I'm sort of very humbled 
mm. I guess by it now because I'm like damn like yeah you look at your kids and it's like these are the most precious things ever especially mm-hmm. when you look at them and for me it was kind of like again I guess how the adoption process somewhat steered my um, mentality was from a young age for me measuring success mm. wasn't about your job and money for me measuring success was going to be when I had a family of my own mm-hmm. and could love my children and provide for them yeah and I don't know if that that's like a search for something that I feel like I didn't have something on my first year or whatnot but that was mm. for me measuring success so for when that when that happened I was just I've done it I've made it you know, just going to be a good dad sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely having kids of your own, definitely it, it brings a different perspective to the whole thing. And even just yeah. you know, John and Marin, you know, like something that I was able to have children the, the natural way. Right. Imagine the stress and heartache and process that some people that do go and adopt are going through because they can't do it yeah. um, the conventional way. How, is that, you know, how would that play out for them? And then to get to a point where they do get to have a child through adoption, like it's yeah. not a, obviously it's not an easy or short process, obviously yeah. at least for most countries on most people, maybe depending on how much money you've got, but <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely something, something different being a dad yourself. Yeah. Well, I will, you know, I'm, as I said, I'm not, I'm not a parent yet, but when I am, I'm sure that, that the same experience will happen. I, you know, a a long time ago, I think it was my godmother who said to me, you know, Liza, I think it's going to be impossible for you to give birth to a baby. And in that moment, not be thinking about your own birth mother doing the exact same thing with you. And I remember being shocked when she said that, because I had, it had never occurred to me, like I've, I've definitely thought about, you know, the day I give birth to my first kid, you know, in a, in a, in a good way. Um, but it had never occurred to me that in that moment, you know, adoption stuff will be popping up in my head. Um, but she was totally right. Uh, all the people who are adoptees that I've talked to, who are parents now have all said, you know, at some point on that day, there was a perspective shift or something that they just didn't think of before in terms of their own adoption when they had their own children. Um, I think that's really fascinating. Such a powerful experience. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. it just, it does connect you to, I guess, like you sound like your own origin. Like yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The child is coming from the exact same way I came from because a funny thing that I've always had was I've just been so disconnected from I guess a lot of like internally and, and emotional stuff mm-hmm. that for me, it, it kind of felt like I was never actually born mm. and that my life started at 13 months. And I kind of felt almost like I just come off a production line. Yeah. About, like, and it's just like, Oh, well, 13 months, like now my life began, this is where I started because it was just such a disconnect from that. Yeah, first. definitely. Like, well, that was actually born. Like did it actually happen? Or am I just here? yeah yeah, it's very interesting yeah being adopted and being transracially adopted and mixed families worked in a positive for that schooling period also because for me it it kind of it lifted a weight off my shoulders in terms of that pressure to 
be the same and be the cool kid and be the whatever. Yeah. Because I was like, I come from a half white, half black family. I come from a family where none of us are genetically, you know, the same. I am not the same no matter how hard I'm going to try. Yeah. So I didn't feel the same pressure as I know a lot of kids do going through school to, you know, form and be the same. And my life's over if I'm not wearing the same, you know, jeans that everyone else is wearing because they're the cool ones now. Like none of that sort of stuff didn't have the same impact on me as I find it did with mm. some friends or people in my growing up in school. Yeah. Because from a young age, I had just already accepted I'm different. Can't change that. Roll with it. Yeah. Uh, so even even if it wasn't speaking to me, but speaking to anyone else young yeah. who was adopted and what, it's kind of like, well, embrace it, embrace the fact that you're different, and and I guess love it because at some point you're a cool story to someone, mm-hmm. and that's that's what I've kind of learned too. Is I think in my high school it was you know roughly around the twelve hundred meter twelve hundred sorry like students mark like mm-hmm. in the high school period, and what I've realized is. I was the only one adopted in my growing up in high school. Mm. So you think about all those 1,200 people, you're the only reference point to what it means to be adopted. You're the only reference point to what it means to be, say, maybe transracially adopted. So it's kind of like take that, relish that, celebrate that. And and, how many people now are that went to school with or worked with that, you know, on on the one out of one out of, you know, 1,000 times that, adoption comes up in conversation yeah i'm probably that one reference point where they can actually chime in about that and like oh actually i had a person in my grade in whatever who was actually adopted from this and then yeah i think um you know something to be proud of yeah so i remember when uh listening to your your podcast when you were speaking to hannah mm-hmm. uh, i can't remember where where in australia she was from um but one thing i, I definitely noticed being Asian in in Australia and being Afro, like even that, the contrast there, like I feel, I felt like because we get a lot of American pop culture through the music and through the TV and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. For for me, I feel like you would have had a harder time mm. at school than I would have. 100%. Yeah, like you you would have got teased and bullied for being Asian more than I would have huh. teased and bullied for being black because. Because we see so much of pop culture growing up and going to school in the 90s and early 2000s. Right. You know, YouTube and MTV and everything kind of made black cool enough that, it, you know, I was one of three, again, in school of like 1,200 kids. I'm right. Like one of three black kids. So, like, you're, wow. you're the token. So, it's kind of like you have a place at the table right. because you're the token. Right, right. Whereas, there's like, we, we, had, we have a large uh, Asian population in australia so mm-hmm. it's kind of like whether mm-hmm. you were chinese or japanese or whatever or, or korean something you weren't different enough that you were token yeah there's more of you at school but you're different enough to be bullied yeah yeah All right. yeah no i totally see what you mean i i am not black so i can't speak to that perspective at all um but it doesn't feel, at least in America, it doesn't feel like it's ever really been cool to be Asian. Um, and COVID has, you know, really only made that worse. Yeah. I, I specifically remember I was in 
grade eight or nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember I was, I was waiting for the bus after school and there was a mum, uh, she was Chinese and she had her two little boys and they only recently sort of moved to the school. Mm-hmm. I remember she singled me out. I could see her sort of making that sort of beeline towards me and I was like, oh God, like, does she think I'm you know, bullying her kids or something? Like, why is she looking at me like this? And she's coming straight over. Mm-hmm. Oh, here we, what does she want? And she came over and, and she was just wanting to know how minorities are being mm. treated oh, and she man. was like she comes and she's just like you know I was like 13 and I'm like like oh, I'm a grown woman talking to me like well, I don't know what you want and she's kind of like I just like how long have you been here and I was like oh you know it's my third year I think second third year at this school and I was like oh how do they treat people like us wow I was like, wow uh and kind of like, you know, trying to break it down for him. Like, oh, no, I guess you get bullied somewhat. Like, how have I been nice about it? Well, you look different, so you're always going to get bullied. Yeah. But it was just it was just a funny thing for, um, yeah, it's, it's, I guess, one of those things that uh, I guess no matter where you are at some point, whether you're the parent or the kid, it is one of the things that you do have to deal with. And yeah. it was really kind of just shone that light on being Asian in Australia. Mm. yeah it's um so we've got such a such a history of of, of asian um culture here and like again like hannah's saying like we, chinese people have been here since eight the 1800s so wow um got there's a massive gold rush shortly after the californian gold rush in the 1800s mm-hmm. a lot of chinese uh, men sort of came out to australia to be involved wow. in that um and so i guess the tension even from there sort of started mm-hmm. because just different different work ethics and obviously like you know, mm-hmm. you know Australians or white Australians are being like ah oh, they're coming over and taking all our gold so mm-hmm. I can see like the the similarities between that happening now where like China's got a very sort of ha- big hand in buying trying to buy into especially the northern part of Australia mm, and really? people aren't educated it's the same thing like you'll get mm. like sort of like the very vocal and less educated people sort of oh bloody China's built buying up all Australia are all going to be mm-hmm. speaking Chinese in 10 years and I'm like <sighs> like listen to what they're saying mm-hmm. read some more and then come up with it but it's funny with the, just culturally how people are towards Chinese and yeah. Japanese, especially here. And again, obviously World War II didn't didn't fare well for Japanese people here in this country. Mm. Like pretty much the entire population of Japanese Australians were all rounded up and pretty much put in the camps for the entirety wow. of the war in case they were spies. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. So we definitely got a lot to to, to answer answer to as, as as Australia and how we treat Asian people, I think. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize that. It's interesting hearing how, uh, like societies now in different countries treat different races based on the history of the country with that race. You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's all very different, even though it's essentially like the same treatment, the same issues, but it just, comes out differently based on what country you're in and what kind of history that country has. And I mean, we're so close to obviously Asia. Like right. Yeah. Like, so mm-hmm. It's like, it's kind of like, you know, like it's, you know, it's kind of like how you're treating your neighbors. Mm-hmm. Sort of thing. So yeah, it's like mm-hmm. um, 1973 
until then we had the white Australia policy. So from the white Australia policy, what's that? Yeah. So in 1901, Australia officially became a country, like a federation, Mm -hmm. shortly after one of the things they enacted, which was kind of partially because partially the amount of Chinese people coming over and different different ethnicities and whatnot. Basically, the government kind of shut the doors and said, now on, unless you're white, you're not immigrating to Australia. Mm. So if you're already a different race and you were here, different story, but it's kind of like, until 1973, they officially abolished the white Australia policy. But from there, it was like, nope, wow. had enough whites only sort of thing. Wow. Um, a lot of other things that sort of came with that, like how they were treating our, our own black, like our indigenous population mm-hmm. as well. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, 1973 is not that long ago. Right. I think like until then, like that was an official policy of the government was the white Australia policy. Like, wow. All right. <laughs> Where do you see in terms of whether it's whether it's your show or just other platforms in general because yeah. one thing even in my my own head i'm kind of in going through of a bit of a debate in terms of something that's been a, a recurring theme is the idea of normalizing yeah. the option like how for me what i've come to realize is like i guess from my own experience and and not speaking about it enough maybe that was our our way of normalizing of the difference between normalizing and celebrating mm. adoption so to me it's kind of like you can't normalize something that's not normal and this is only this is on my own you know point of view yeah, of course yeah. and that's why i'd love to like debate yeah. like how do you, you can't normalize something that's not normal by definition especially trans racial adoption mm-hmm. isn't the norm mm-hmm so to me, it's like, I don't want to normalize it. I want to celebrate it. I want to actually bring it to the forefront. Because right. It's like, kind of like what, you was, like what we were saying, like for, for many people, you're the only reference point to right. transracial adoption. So it's kind of like, that's amazing. And this is, it's beautiful. It's part of your story. And it's how you become who you are. And so to me, it's like adoption. So it seems like people fall into this. We need to normalize it. So mm-hmm. we don't kind of mess up the psyche of the kids, mm. you know, that they're going through it. Whereas mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, yo, know, maybe trying to normalize it is like, it's kind of like assimilation. Like you're trying to assimilate into mm. a world that's not yours. Right. Are you, like, like normal is normal is like mom and dad, you know, the, the normal nucleus biological family. That's normal. Mm-hmm. flying to a, in a whole another country and picking up a child and then bringing them back into your like that's not normal why, mm-hmm. why are we normalizing so it's interesting just the like, different people's opinions closely it's yeah depend on the upbringing and stuff like that yeah i think that's a great point um and i do in a lot of ways think that celebrating is 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 a better term um because i think that is ultimately what my definition of it is i think like more more like concrete examples that come to mind is you know let's say you're you know walking around with your parents and you know one of you is white and one of you is black and one of you is asian um normalization would to me be like if if I'm the person walking on the other side of the street and I see that family, I would 
equally assume that they're a family versus equally assume that they're not related. Mm -hmm. And because of the different race factor, like just because that's a factor, that doesn't mean that I'm going to say, oh, it's more likely that they're not a family than, oh, it's equally as likely that they are a family of multiple races. Yeah. Um, like that to me is like, like the textbook definition of what normalizing adoption would mean. But I think you're totally right. I think the way I say it, and I think a way, the way a lot of people on the show and in general, um, who are, you know, advocates for adoption do mean it in more of a celebratory way. I think adoption is its own identity in and of itself. And especially for younger kids, Um, I think that element of celebration as opposed to normalization um, is very important, even if even if you're only changing what you call it and you're not changing anything else about it. I still think it's very important because a child isn't going to understand what it means to normalize something, but they are going to understand what it means to celebrate something Mm -hmm. and to be happy about something and to feel like pride in something like those are all emotions that children can understand. Normalization is something that you don't understand until you're older. Like we're all, we're all, you know, we're all talking the same thing, just in a different way sort of thing. Like yeah. Call it normalization, call it what you want. Like we're also basically just trying to say more awareness needs to be created mm-hmm. into this is just another way of a family. Yeah. Around. But I think, and I'm only thinking of this just now and tell me what you think. I feel like almost like normalization is almost for others versus celebration is like internal. It's for yourself. It's like, yeah, it's great that, you know, collectively that's how things work. When a bunch of people do something, it starts to catch on and become like, you know, normal or whatever. But like normalization seems to be for the society in which you are a part of. But celebration is, feels better because it feels like like you're celebrating yourself instead of, you know, some sort of arbitrary social structure. Um, yeah, 100%. And that also, I think, is important for kids and all people. But it's a good question. Definitely. I'd never thought about that before. I remember, again, mom and dad used to let, like, they'd take, they'd take us traveling. Again, yeah. That was, I guess, their way of maybe normalizing different people coming from different walks of life mm-hmm. let's have a look at like explore so they tra- we traveled and we went to Zimbabwe before it got crazy mm. and we were walking down the street and I remember so vividly stopping and obviously all eyes are on us because you know white parents with two little black kids in a sea of black and I remember this man approaching mom and dad and stopping them and saying like where are these kids from? Like, where'd you get these kids? Mm-hmm. And then, then saying, oh, no, they're, they're our kids. And then this man was just so unfamiliar with adoption mm-hmm. that his next question was, did you buy them? Oh, no. This, yeah. Like, oh, like, no. Did, you, did you buy them? And it's kind of like, I just remember, like, looking at, like, cool. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. It's like a whole new thing. And I guess, like, you know, obviously that's, that's the extreme of not understanding adoption right. as opposed to just the, um, wow. where are you from question. Mm-hmm. but what do you feel how do you feel your adoption plays into your identity today I think I think I'm just working it out yeah 
you know, I think uh, I'm really saying that it does it all, plays a part, whether you shy away from it or not. Um, and it's just being like accepting and being okay with all parts of your life because that's what's made you who you are. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of now, you know, I am like like doing things like, you know, learning Portuguese and connecting with, you know, Brazilian culture. Like if it's something I felt like I didn't have growing up and I wanted it, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, well, grown man like what's stopping me from getting it or achieving it or finding it now so I'm kind of delving into that delving into maybe like the the afro um aspects of my my life like I did Mm -hmm. the that dna um ancestry.com yeah DNA pack that you do yeah um did did that I think it was actually one Courtney that gave me that like last year the year before for Christmas Mm -hmm. and even just seeing the breakdown of uh DNA wise where I'm sort of what parts come from where yeah I'm like okay like yeah it kind of reaffirms that yes you're, you're part Afro-Brazilian you're part Portuguese you're part, like you've got all sorts of stuff happening yeah and um I'm kind of like that like this is if, I, if I'm going to be as, as much as myself and give myself especially as a father as I can mm-hmm. and I want to understand as much of who I am that includes my first year and that includes yeah how that makes me feel and different things so now it's kind of just unpacking, unpacking everything that makes me me, and then mm-hmm. okay, like working it out. But um, being in such a multicultural country, yeah, like Australia too. Um, I guess probably makes things easier in terms of, uh, especially being Gold Coast, because Gold Coast is um a big portion of Gold Coast obviously is tourism mm-hmm. so there's you know there's you know there's lots of Chinese people here there's lots of Japanese people here there's you know African people here you know you, you've got people from the Middle East here obviously you've got the, the Anglo white Anglos so it's kind of um, it is kind of I, I guess finding out who I am kind of like I just look around I'm like oh you know like it's all free and colors of the rainbow walking around here so it's mm-hmm. kind of, it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm the only one. So, right. oh, my gosh, it's not like that. Uh, but, yeah, still working out, still working out who I am and what mm-hmm. that means. Mm-hmm. Me too. Something that I like to ask all of my guests at the end of the interview is, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about origins, identity, who we are, and, you know, how our lives kind of equal uh who we are today if you could if you could turn back and tell young ben one thing about the idea of finding yourself uh identity self-love acceptance what would you tell him uh probably just tell tell him ask the questions you want to ask Mm. you know like you're there's, there's always a way to find the answers. Mm-hmm. And again, like being quiet, I kind of internalized a lot. And who knows if maybe by asking a question when you're younger, um, you don't know the perspective that's going to come from the other end of yeah. where you ask the question or what doors that might open if that person you're asking doesn't have the answers mm-hmm. to the point where you might start a journey maybe a little bit quicker. So maybe you're not you know, in your 30s or whatever, and you're kind of working out who you are, where you fit in, 
and there might be some things that start that process maybe a little bit earlier. Ben, thanks you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure to talk to you and, you know, keep talking about adoption and the importance of identity. And um, I'm really glad that you have been following along and that ultimately through Juan, your brother, you were able to come on the show and share your story. It's been so lovely. Oh, thank you very much. And I think it's, it is really important for, you know, platforms like this to, to give a space for people to, to share their story and, and have a voice and maybe, um, kind of, I guess like myself and one gives that opportunity to have conversation even within your own family. So yes, it's really appreciated what you are doing and um, thank you very much for having me. Of course. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'm Adopted, Now What? Hosted by me, Liza. If you liked what you heard, then please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Leave a good review and share this episode with a friend. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on a later episode, DM me and tell me all about it. You can do that and find this podcast on Instagram and Facebook at imadopted.podcast. See you there. Oh.